0: open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, uh, we get to go from what we, I mean really just having our eyes fixed on Christ this morning in song, coming behold, come behold the wondrous the mystery that is uh, the glory of Christ in the gospel and singing of the glory of Christ, even in the session of Christ where he rules and reigns right now, to come back down now to talk about the church, his bride is, is a wonderful compliment, isn't it? Because one day, if you could see with eyes of faith, The king in all his um, beauty and glory will have a bride. And that'll be you. I mean, you are now. But we see through it dimly, through a veil. And we're not what we could be, both individually as in his church. But one day, that same Christ who we just worshipped in all his glory, that is unmatched in his perfect holiness, he's preparing you and me and all those who come by faith to Christ to be with him. There's nothing greater than that, that the king and all his beauty and glory and worthiness and holiness will have a bride. Revelation 21 and 22 tells us, and it's us. It's unmatched. And so when we study the, the gifts in First Corinthians 12, um, It's just not and this is Paul's point, like <laughs> if we just let these things terminate on us, how fickle if we make it about us. If we if we study spiritual gifts and, and make it about what I have, and then how that bumps up against what this person has. What? As if it's about us? I mean that's what he's trying to point out to these believers in Corinth. You guys have just taken this thing that's supposed to prepare you to be this um, glorious bride and make you useful to reach the world with the gospel and you're perverting it by making it about you and how lovely you look individually and how important you are. What a waste. But if you can get a, catch a glimpse of what this is about, what this is all for, this is all this is all from the Spirit and it's all to the Lord and it's all by the power of God, then it totally takes what is in our fleshliness and Corinth was doing this. He even calls them fleshly in chapter three. You guys just, I'm speaking to you like you're just men of the flesh and you're not, you're people of the Spirit. But you're terminating it down here as if like, look what I've got, look what they've got. Wow. And um, that whang was for like the baby effect in case you're wondering what that was. You're just immature. And you're supposed to be growing up together and building each each other up in the faith. And that's the launch into talking about spiritual gifts. Lift your gaze to the one who is worthy and then see where you fit into that. Because that's the cause that we live for. That's what motivates us. That's what excites us. Because that's when we're using the gifts what they were meant to be given for. Never for us. To just say, that's for me. And we saw that at the end of last week, verse 7, where we left off. Each one is given the manifestation, the appearance, the display of the Spirit for the common good. So I'll pick up in that verse and launch us into um, the next verse today. We're going to cover two verses. How about that? But I'll read to verse 11. Just warning you in advance. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So may the Spirit bless the teaching to distribute to us today greater understanding so that we can apply it and live it for the common good and for his glory, because he's worthy. The last two weeks in 1 Corinthians 12, our series in spiritual gifts, has answered a few questions, the, the foundational questions that you have to start with according to Paul when you're talking about spiritual gifts. Uh, what are they? Where do they come from? And what are they for? Those three questions really had to be answered before you can get into the uh, discussion of how am I supposed to use them and what are they like? The first seven verses, really, if you take the last two weeks and had to um, distill it down to an answer to that question, what are spiritual gifts? Where do they come from and what are they for? Here would be my stab at it. Spiritual gifts are God-given powers for gospel ministry bestowed by the Holy Spirit at salvation for others' good and Christ's glory. The what, the where, and the what are they for? Why do we have them? Well, they're spiritual gifts. The gifts are God-given powers, well, what are they for? For gospel ministry, given by the Spirit at our salvation for others good in Christ's glory. And um, I know I'm going to get into the effecting of miracles in verse 10, but that sentence is a miracle. In the way it takes me usually like a long time to say a short thing. I see like it's, it's Pentecost all over, the second coming's about here when I can come up with one sentence to say it in. So if you didn't believe in the gifts of the spirit, you should now. That took some work. And I pray that helps you. Because we do wanna be able to be very clear when we talk about spiritual gifts, biblically speaking. There's a lot of different ways people wanna talk about them. But when you start with a good definition, and that's just me stealing a bunch of other people's definitions and putting them into one, It it helps us not to lose our path, as we talked about last week, because it's easy to lose our path. You know, if we get off on the wrong foot talking about spiritual gifts, we will miss not just the trees, but we'll miss the entire forest we're supposed to be in. And that's what we're going to talk about today, not missing the uh, forest for the trees. And the forest is the wilderness, the woods and the winds that the Spirit blows in in the church to give us an idea of what He wants to actually do with us. We didn't just go up to heaven when we were saved. If we did, that would be wonderful because that's where perfect worship exists. And that's what we were created for. But clearly we have a mission down here and we can't fulfill that mission if we're not all God has made us to be, using the gifts that he's given us for others' good in his glory. So today, um, as we get into this, I wanted to to, um, launch this talk of the forest and the trees. Uh, First point, just let's... Let's uh, look at the forest a little bit before we get into the trees and 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 really looking at the forest just kind of sets the table uh, to make sure we don't make some errors when we start to get into these the first uh... sub point of uh... looking at the forest before we examine the trees of spiritual gifts and that's another way for me to just say we're gonna look a wide view and then we'll get into the narrow view the wide view first thing to remember is when we read these things first remember the quality of the gifts as we're talking about spiritual gifts and it could be lost on us even though the words right in front of our face verse one now concerning spiritual gifts Point one, the quality of the gifts. This is a list of spiritual gifts in a natural world, not the reverse. This is not a list of natural abilities and talents and gifts in some spiritual world. Though the spiritual world is out there, it's unseen. It's the opposite. We have from the spirit gifts from him, spiritual gifts, all of them spiritual. All of them. And so we have to adjust our vision when we come to verse 8 that just because something doesn't sound as spiritual as the next or miraculous, if you want to call it that, or supernatural, if you want to call it that, that right out of the gates today, talking about wisdom and knowledge is a spiritual matter because it has a spiritual origin. It can be easy in the church and talking amongst Christians to kind of just associate, you know, when we hear something like the word wisdom, for instance, and be like, yeah, you know, my whole life I've kind of had a knack for uh, common sense. Um, I'm a pretty wise dude. I know like, well, maybe you're not a humble dude though. Um, Or like maybe getting a little more down to earth with it. When we talk about gifted teachers in the church and somebody might be like, yeah, of course it makes sense. I teach in Sunday school uh, to the six year olds. I'm a preschool teacher. Like I got my L.Ed. degree. Top of the class. Therefore, I'm a teacher in the church. And if you're just looking at that, that's just looking at that with natural eyes. But then it's like, oh yeah, but the real spiritual people in our church are the, and we all know what those are according to the Corinthians, because Paul has to really break it down in chapter 14, prophecy in tongues. Now we're talking some miracles. Now we're talking supernatural. And eh, the rest of this stuff, It's just explainable by your, um, you know, as I alluded to last week, your personality test. Hey, you're outgoing, evangelist. No. It's a gift. And that's when I'm talking about approaching the forest before we get into the trees to see we're dealing with something supernatural here. Every gift the Spirit gives is a spiritual gift. There is nothing earthly, natural, explainable about it. So that collectively raises our gaze, doesn't it? And leads us away from the path of a hierarchy, which gets back to the problem in Corinth. Who's the most spiritual? Oh, the tongue speaker, the miracle worker. Because they were just taking that from their demonic-inspired cultic practices. And, and Paul's saying, no, no, no. The variety of gifts, verse 4, come from the Spirit. The varieties of ministries come from G- or are to done to Jesus. And the powers, verse 6, are all from God, who works all things in all persons. So remember, these quality of gifts are spiritual in nature. And yet, we have to be careful because in Christendom at large, and you know this if you've been in the church, people want to make haves and have-nots. Here's the really spiritual things, here's the regular things, the natural and the supernatural. And guess what? You won't find it in the text. So point one, no putting unnatural divisions between the natural and the supernatural because you end up in the wrong forest and looking at the wrong trees. And if you mess that up, you're gonna end up lost in the forest. And you'll be like the Corinthians who are dividing and saying, I follow that guy, he's got the gift of this. So much for that guy, barely can do anything. So point number one, quality of the gifts, everything you read, in the list of spiritual gifts is, get this, spiritual. It's profound stuff, I know. Number two, quantity of the gifts. To remember as we enter the forest, this list of gifts is representative, not exhaustive. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he gives some of the gifts, but he doesn't list all of them. So we have nine right here in verses eight to 10, and then if you just turn your page in the Bible or if it's the same page, look at verse 28. Then he starts adding in. There's healing or helps, gifts of his ministrations. He didn't mention those here. And then you look at the entire New Testament and anywhere where spiritual gifts are being talked about, you, you see there's some different ones. You can count it up. There's 30 listed there. And then uh, like when you play boggle and you're like, all right, who had the word cat besides me? And you know, will cross it off. So there are some ones that are repeated, and if you take those down, it goes down from 30 to 20, and then even within the 20, if you notice, there's gifts, and then there's names of gifted people. So what we learn from this is we can't try to say, well, this is it, we've got it nailed down, this is, now, it is the Word of God, and it is precise, and it is accurate, but all we know is the sampling. When he's listing gifts anywhere he's talking about them, he might want to get specific, but like when Peter does it in First Peter 4.11, and I'll read that for you, whoever speaks, whoever speaks, he's not talking to particularly the preacher or the teacher or the exhorter or the evangelist or the prophet. He's saying, you open your mouth to speak in the church led by the Lord. Speak the utterances of God. That can include a couple of those different things, a mashup of different giftings. Ephesians 4.11, the gifts to the church, pastor teachers. There's a lot of different gifting that makes up that person fulfilling that role. So point number two, quantity. Don't take this as if you have the exhaustive list and then from that you are going to make up some artificial groupings and say, and some even do this back to our passage today, go back to first Corinthians um, 12, they would take uh, verse eight, for instance, and they would say, you know, verse eight is gifts of the intellect and verse nine talking about faith, healing, and then into verse 10 affecting of miracles. Those are the power gifts. And then if end of verse 10, um, uh, prophecy and, uh, distinguishing prophecies and then tongues and interpretation of tongues, those are the inspired utterance gifts. Now I don't see any of that in my Bible. But churches, denominations build a whole theology around, well, there's intellectual gifts for these people over here, and power gifts. I just felt right to say power gifts. And then there's the inspired utterance people. And that's all artificial. I mean the the now like you can look at those and, and make some connections in your mind. You're going, well, Adam, do um, you know, wisdom and knowledge, you know, do they play well together and we'll find that out later but we have to use the rest of the Bible to come to that conclusion not our own presuppositions make sense so second quantity of gifts it's representative not exhaustive and the danger there is when you overemphasize certain groups of gifts it leads to making sweeping generalizations again Baptist some are miraculous and non miraculous and you end up lost in the forest like the Corinthians in some quagmire of quarreling dividing and dissenting rather than being united in love. Hence chapter 13 comes right after this. Not there by accident. And then he has to go and address two particular gifts at length in chapter 14. Last but not least, diversity of gifts. We've talked about the quality, they're spiritual, the quantity, this isn't exhaustive, and diversity. This list is meant to show the diversity in the body. So it's illustrative, but it's not necessarily explanatory. What do I mean by that? He is using, he's just listing these gifts off and he's not giving you a dissertation on each one. Notice that. He's just saying, hey, if I'm gonna drive home the point that we are a united body and uh, diversity can come out of unity, I'm just gonna start listing some gifts. He's just putting these out there, but we're not getting a full explanation for each one. And as I showed you that list earlier up there, other than prophecy and tongues in chapter 14, you don't get an expounded list whenever he gives them in those passages, do you? You have to go to the rest of the New Testament and, and you piece it together. That's kind of what the preacher's called to do, which is what I'm about to do now. But we have to remember that the focus of Paul is on the diversity of gifts, not trying to... Overexplain any individual one other than now he's going to have to address in chapter 14 the abuses of a couple of them because they are wanting to do that and what this really teaches us is the power of diversity and unity that for the church to be everything it can be all the parts have to work together for the same purpose and in the same power and not overthink our own personal existence because it turns back to self doesn't it and I it's all about me and it's not your giftedness is all about the body working together and so when you become a Christian I mean everything changes from the inside out but also on the outside you now see hey I'm um," as we talked about last week because of verse seven I'm no lone ranger Christian anymore I mean I've been given some gifts now from the spirit to work for the common good in the body of Christ because Though our king is in all his glory and beauty and majesty in heaven, his spiritual body is down here in us. And that's what's awesome about the local church. That we look around the room this morning and we see, wow. um, What Curtis read earlier in 1 Corinthians 1 is really true. When you're in the church, verse 7, you are not lacking, Corinthians, in any gift eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, that is to the church, not the individual. If he was saying that to the individual, you would have Jesus again. If you had an individual who had all the gifts, 100% max power, you'd have Jesus again. And if that were possible, that person's ego could not be contained, honestly. I mean, we're bad enough with the gifts we have. If you could actually have all of them, I know we would like to think of ourselves as, no, that'd be awesome. Would it though? I mean, I guess in your own sanctified imagination, play that out. Uh, if, you could, if you had all the gifts yourself, you'd, uh, who wouldn't want you on their team? A church, a business, a government? You could do it all. But what does he say to the church? Church, you're not lacking in any gift as you await the return of Jesus. As a body, collectively, you have all the gifts. Now, when we are harmonized and in unity, we're seeing a closer picture of the body to what Jesus did and it makes you even think about, I know it's often taken out of context, you'll do great when Jesus says to his disciples, you'll do even greater things than I. What was he meaning? Well, when you think about the church and the gospel being able to go out farther to the ends of the earth he could only be as when he was on earth one place one time but as disciples make disciples and use their gifts for the glory of christ you can say greater works why more further perpetually generations come and go and we're reaching people for the gospel constantly when we're keeping our eyes on the mission not getting caught up in ourselves so that for the church to be everything it can be we have to be One part working together for the same purpose and in the same power. So that's the diversity of the gifts. All right, so that was the forest. Now let's jump into the trees. And I wasn't even gonna try to do them all today. So I stopped at verse eight. We're just gonna look at wisdom and knowledge today. And you're like, chicken, you just didn't wanna talk about tongues yet. (laughs) Maybe you're right, maybe you're not. Let's examine verse eight, two trees First one, one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Um, now, from the outset, it's interesting that those two come first. Because the problem in Corinth, right from the jump, is arguments over who is the best teacher. And when you think about a good teacher-preacher in a church, the gifted teacher-preacher, what are the real two main components? of any preaching, sermon, teaching, explanation and application. I mean, you put those two things together and you have a good word for the people as in a word of explanation, a word of knowledge. Here's who God is, here's what he's like, but we don't leave it at that. We wanna what? Apply that and typically speaking, wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. I mean, it it puts the two together as the old saying goes, knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting the tomato in a fruit salad. You know, they work together. You'll we'll catch up. Or it just was a dumb joke, either one. <laughs> so chapter three, he says, some of you are saying I'm of Paul, some of you are saying I'm of Apollos, and those were the two like, really gifted guys that they knew of. So they're saying, "Who's the most popular preacher?" Well, who's got the best gifts? Well, I kind of like Paul's style, you know. You know, he was um, a a former Jew, so he really takes us into the deep Old Testament Testament context. And you know, but you know, I like Apollos. You know, he's a converted Greek, and man, he just is powerful. He's kind of like a uh, converted Demosthenes, man. He just is the speaker. You can see it happening. I mean, we do it today. And I got my favorites and it most likely has to do with probably the way i'm gifted i mean if i'm just being honest about it you know it's no secret if you're putting me on the scale of you know does adam explain a lot or does he help us apply a lot i explain you to death you know i'm preaching husbands love your wives all right guys let's go back to leviticus and talk about the idea of love when it comes to the, and you're like just tell me how many nights a week I need to bring her flowers. (laughs) And I'd have no, I couldn't even answer you that question. I got zero application there. But if you understand what love is, according to the Bible, you know, see how they play together? So this is what's happening in Corinth. I'm not saying it's exactly that, but people are picking favorites over teachers. So now jump back to verse 8. Interesting, the first two things he's going to talk about are wisdom and knowledge. He's going to As they say, and Curtis I think said about flowers this weekend, nip it in the bud. As in, let's get at it. You guys are arguing back to chapter three, who's the best teacher, getting on teams like you would with Plato versus Aristotle or whatever, who's your favorite philosopher? Let me explain where any gifted teacher gets their material. Right there in verse eight. They've been gifted a word of wisdom through the spirit and to another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit. I mean he's being particular with his language there, isn't he? He has been given a word of wisdom through the spirit. And so some people aren't there just saying, Yeah, see, you know, when people are giving us that real practical stuff and making it known to us, that's full of the spirit. But those boring, dry academics Oh, interesting. A word of knowledge according to the same spirit. Hmm. It's a both and it's not an either or. And when you talk about giftedness in the church, it's on a spectrum. I mean, the real reason there's a diversity of preaching styles is not really explained away by what seminary did they go to. It's really explained away by the Spirit, because He's the one that gives the gifts. I mean, the seminary can give you the tools, but the Spirit's the one that gives you the power. I mean, He's the one that carries you. He's the one that fills you. Now this, again, he's not even mentioning teacher, preacher, evangelist. He's just saying, hey, if we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, let's talk about the gift of wisdom from the spirit and the word of knowledge. So let's talk about those two trees in particular. I just want to kind of set the the context for why he probably brings those up from the start. Because that's one of the big issues that Corinth has. Picking favorites. So word of wisdom, uh, we can from just the most generic view of that word wisdom know that, well, that yeah, like Book of Proverbs. Wisdom is, is about what Solomon would say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. But here's the thing, Paul's writing this to a church in Corinth, Solomon isn't. So we have to ask, when Paul's saying, somebody's given the word of wisdom through the spirit, is that an issue here in Corinth? And if it is, maybe we would find it earlier in the book. So let's go back to the beginning. And lo and behold, in chapter one, he starts talking about wisdom and foolishness to these people. He goes back to the gospel to talk about the word of wisdom. Look at verse 20. Where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? He's talking about a particular people that what? They get caught up in following a wise man, a philosopher, a scribe, the genius that writes it all down, records it, the debater, the orator, the guy that's going to stand up and do the you know, ancient philosophical rap battle. They used to be cool. That's what he's having to address, these people right out of the gate. And this is a gospel issue. This isn't just like uh, talking about, you know, your Sunday school teachers in the church. He's saying, hey, listen, when you came to Christ, um, you didn't get in by your own wisdom. This word of wisdom through the Spirit, if it's been gifted in the church, it goes back to the door of the gospel. It goes through the cross, And the cross was not a message of wisdom to the world, no matter how smart you thought you were, so you could take your SAT score and chuck it. And I'm glad that's the truth, speaking from experience. Your IQ, the letters before or after your name aren't the explanation why you came into the kingdom of God verse 21 is. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God. There it is right there. When we start talking about wisdom and, and how we understand and believe and see a foolish message and say, I need that. I want that. That's my only ticket. The world is looking and going, wait, how does that work? You, and think about back in the time of Paul. I mean, we are back there. For the gods to die for man? That was not part of their religion class. Men died for the gods. And if you kept them happy, they kept you alive. But here's this faith where God comes to earth and in order to give you true happiness, not his own, your true happiness, he dies for you. How foolish of a message would that have been to these people? And how foolish of a message is that to people today? Because there's no pick yourself up, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, think your way to God, he's saying, look, The entry point into a faith or a relationship with God by faith is a foolish message. Look at verse 22. Jews asked for signs. They wanted something that would be big and spectacular. The Greeks, they wanted wisdom, you know, um, come up with higher understanding, think your way to the Almighty. And he says, what did we preach? Christ, the Messiah, crucified. And that's a stumbling block to the proud person who wants to earn their way and it's just a foolish, weak, forget about it message to a smart guy. But to those who are the called, Christ is the power of God because you needed his resurrection power to give you new life. And he is the wisdom of God. You weren't going to figure that out on your own. So, Back to chapter 12, we can't read to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and just immediately talk, jump into debates over who's got the gifts of teaching and all that. We have to say we all have to first come in through understanding uh, we all came in the same way. The word of wisdom that saved us was the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and, and whatever reason you're here, however you found yourself in this church today, maybe you have a church background where it was all about external things. It was all about who had the gifts. It was all about who's the smartest and and that's the most spiritual. And I'm here to tell you today, none of that, unless you come by the way of the cross, none of it matters. You cannot think your way, rationalize your way, get your way to God through your own thinking. In fact, that'll take you further away. You come through a foolish message. From the beginning, Christ in him crucified. And he has to open your eyes this morning to see him. And he has to work on your heart for you to believe him. Even if intellectually you're, you're moving closer. And, I, and that can happen. Um, people share their testimony and say, sometimes it was a period of time that I was this far away from God, but then little by little, more of who God is and what he was like was, was revealed to me. But I'm telling you now, that that's not you doing that for yourself. And he could be doing that for you right now, uh, that you're here again. Why are you here when you really are like not interested in this Christianity thing, but there's something still pricking at your conscience and drawing you to come back to church and you listened to a sermon last week? Oh, who knows what it is? That could be God drawing you to himself. And the Holy Spirit has to enlighten the eyes of your heart to see Christ in his glory and see yourself in your sin and that you would get on your face and cry out for mercy. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's how you come. How foolish and how weak. But yet once you've come, you look back and say, "Well, yeah, that's because I had such a wise God and a strong savior because I couldn't do it for myself. And he calls out to you this morning and says, lay down your pride, lay down that intellect, lay down whatever it is you think you bring to the table. You only come through me. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and him crucified, buried, raised again for your sins. Do you believe that message from the heart? That's the message of salvation. And that's the only way you come is through him. Now, when you come, you're given the gifts of the Spirit, and then we can expand that word of wisdom out to say, look, um, we all come with the equal amount of need for the wisdom of God in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30, by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us the wisdom of God. All things equal right there. We all come equally deficient of the wisdom of God in Christ. That's how you're saved. However, we are given various degrees of wisdom after that it's not all equal the spirit gifts us differently and you get that like we're talking and now for when you're around other Christians there are some that they can't hide their wisdom because wisdom can't be hidden it's a practical expression of your godliness when you have the truth in you wisdom applies it and walks it out Ephesians 4 so he could say Christian walk in wisdom and so rather than like, you know, compare and everything, just praise God. Hey, he may, this person, when I look at their life or I hear people talk about them, they're always like, man, just so wise. Look, look at the decisions they make and what they do. But don't go, woe is me on that. You've got some wisdom. He didn't leave you deficient. Make the most of what you have. Because praise God. Like we, you see the effects of it. It's varieties, verse 6. Praise God, like when you walk in the door of the church, we're like, cool, we're doing spiritual gift day. I've got this wand, and I'm going to whoop. And it's like spiritual wisdom, to. uh, Go stack chairs. 98. Please preach. 50. Youth men. I would know I was one. Still am, really. So I'm just saying, look, friends, We're humbled when we come into Christ. We come to Christ. We come into the family of God because it's his wisdom that saves us. It's it's the wisdom found in Christ. And then we also are humbled again because look, we're not all equal in measure of the distribution of that wisdom. Okay? We're just not. And, And what you see when that's paired together with the word of knowledge, according to the same spirit, again, just putting those together, thinking about teachers in the church that they divide over, probably those that have You know, if there could be a wand, and there was a zero to 100 scale, gifted teachers, preachers, those probably are, you know, more than others. It's all right, because nobody has got them all. And that greater gifting that the Spirit decides to give to some person that has some teaching gift um, may result in teaching to lots of people. But we all teach someone. If you disagree, then what do you do with Matthew 28? Matthew 28. 19 and 20, if all Christians are called to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, you got something. You do. Isn't that awesome? Because he wouldn't command you to do a thing you don't have any giftedness to do. So we all got some wisdom and we all got some knowledge. What are you doing with what you have? Are you discipling someone? Because you're called to make a disciple by Jesus himself, and you've now been given the Spirit to gift you varying degrees. Okay, so that's enough on the wisdom side. Now let's see knowledge. Where where does that fit in? Well, similar to wisdom, at first glance, we could see the word knowledge, and we could think of kind of the general definition. It's information. It's comprehension. It's understanding. And, And typically speaking, knowledge, whether in a you know Merriam-Webster dictionary or in a Bible dictionary is just going to it's not going to talk about the application of anything it's knowledge it's understanding it's comprehension it doesn't put feet on and walk out the door it's up here and interestingly enough what Curtis read this morning what I alluded to already that too starts at your salvation so we all come in equally in need of the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ look at 1 Corinthians 1 Verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus that in everything you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge. So we all come in the same way. Just like needing the wisdom of God in Christ, we need the knowledge of God through Christ. Everything's equal there. we good with that? So we're not sitting around, if we're in Christ saying... You know, he gave this person more wisdom. To f- no, we, we all were given it entirely. It's 100%. We needed 100% of the wisdom of God in Christ and 100% of the knowledge of God in Christ. We needed to know who he is and what he did. Jesus Christ, the son of God, the son of man, the Messiah, all of it, all of it had to be given to us as a grace gift for us to then, through the Spirit's work, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit, appropriated in faith. Our, our minds agreed, our wills were given over, and even affections a man who sees a treasure in the field, goes and sells everything, has in the joy of finding that treasure. Jesus is speaking about finding him, the kingdom of God. So we respond in our minds. We believe it in our, our wills. We, 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 we want to trust in Christ. And even in our heart affection, we now can love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength in a way we couldn't before. So we all come in needing his wisdom and his knowledge. However, like I just mentioned with wisdom, then there are varying amounts of the knowledge we have after that. All equal coming in, not all equal going out. But praise God that again, we're not, we don't have any way to measure that other than the effects that we see when we're serving. Hence last week, go catch that, or I'll just give you the summation of it. If you don't know how much knowledge or wisdom you have, just start serving. Just start serving. You'll find out pretty quick. And I am positive, children's ministry plug, every one of you in here over the age of 18 in Christ who passes our background check can teach the kiddos. And it's spiritual. It's just as spiritual as this. Apples to apples. Bigger apples, smaller apples, but it's apples to apples. So go do it. I'm sure all of you could. You may think, no, I can never do it. Have you ever tried? Have you ever tried? You may say, I can can stand up in front of anyone, my own kid. If you have the Spirit's gifting, it has nothing to do with anything you've tried before in the world and maybe failed at, because it's not explained away by the natural things. It's spiritual. And you may not know what gifting you have. And on the other hand, if you come to Christ and you could be some... uh, Professor over at Lenore Rhine in the um, physics department. And man, you could be just Mensa. And if you're not gifted by the Spirit in wisdom and knowledge, I mean, you can make a disciple. You might be able to start there. But you stand up in front of a group and just, I, I can't do this. And not over fear or anything. It's just, just not gifted. Maybe that a physics degree actually works against you because you take simple things and just make them really way too complex. I'm just saying... All of this is hopeful because if we're gonna make disciples and teach them to observe and obey all that Jesus gave us, we gotta have something and we all have something. That's how gracious of a God he is. If that's our mission, to go out and make disciples, one person at a time or 300, he's gonna equip us to do it. Amen? Tom Schreiner, he's a teacher at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, expert in Acts and Paul's epistles, writes about the connection between wisdom and knowledge. He says this, both wisdom and knowledge relate to the gift of teaching, as in they're the core components of it. They're the two main ingredients. A sharp distinction between wisdom and knowledge does not need to be present. The word of wisdom and the word of knowledge are best understood as referring to the gift of teaching. Paul does not sharply distinguish the words from one another. They overlap in meaning and are complementary facets of the same reality. What he's saying is that the gifts, though they are distinct, they overlap in the application. So I've just done a lot of explaining and showing you how wisdom and knowledge, biblically speaking, from the text are distinct, but he's saying in the application of them, you mix them up and you get a teacher. Somebody that can instruct, explain, and apply the word of God for someone else so that they can follow Jesus. And you'll do it in proportion, one, I believe, to first the reality that you have something. You don't have nothing. You have something. But based on the amount of gifting you have, it might expand more than you would ever imagine. What you thought you could only do this little thing over here with these people, you're now doing it to more people. Praise God for that. So what do I wanna do with our time remaining is draw out some um, application from putting wisdom and knowledge together because the goal of this is the common good of the church. And we all have something, nobody has nothing. And the goal of our gifts is to make disciples, build each other up, strengthen the church, evangelize the lost. And so we wanna just think about how we put these together. So now for the application, first one, the gifts of knowledge and wisdom help us put our faith into action. Because these things work together in the application of them, they actually help put our faith into action. What do I mean by that? Well, if there was the possibility that somebody could just have 100% knowledge and zero application, they'd be a lot like me, but at least I have like 1% ability to apply, and thereby you actually have some application today. It's meta, it's happening right now in front of you. If you know me, I can be pretty abstract I'll drink a coffee with you and philosophize. You pick a verse. We'll, we'll just talk about it. Maybe never make one application. Just, man, how rad was, you know, reading Ezekiel 38. And you're like, that would be awful. Remind me to never hang out with you. But praise God, there's some giftedness of application in what I can do. It's from him as much as the knowledge side is. But when we put them together the gifts of knowledge help us to put our faith into action in the most effective way because they're to complement each other and so you can think of how this looks like in your own life someone with the gift of knowledge say in your life group or wherever can take you know 12 7 to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good and someone with a greater gift of knowledge than you can take that and go deep with it and I'd say if you're maybe gifted more on that wisdom side, that practical application of the truth side, sometimes you probably sit there and get bugged by them. Cause you think, are you gonna get around to actually doing anything? Or are you just gonna keep talking about like, you know, that word manifestation, it's kind of like appearance and, you know, how does the spirit show up? You know, does he just hover around the room, like over the surface of the waters or well, he's actually in us. So you, and you're just sitting there going, will you confess some sin already? Like, let's go, were you kind this week? I was going to get to that right after I talk about immutability. They work together. And on the same hand, if you're Mr. Application, and you're just like, give me the verse, I'll do it. And then you get a verse and go to do it. And you're like, brother, did you like read where that verse is? In context, I'm like lovingly telling that person that. Like slow down on the application. Think it through. Like, you know, husbands love your wives. And you're like, why do you have to overthink that? Flowers on Monday, cook dinner for her on Tuesday, take her to uh, NASCAR on Wednesday. <laughs> That's how bad I am at application. But you're like, no, no like, genuinely, brother, like, let's think about what the word love means and how it's sacrificial. And is it a sacrifice for you to go and buy flowers five minutes before you get home versus giving two minutes to help with the kids before bedtime, or two hours, two minutes? <laughs> Truth betrays me. But as I saying, it's both and. It's knowledge and wisdom. And here's the cool part about being in the body of Christ. We help each other in it. So we can maximize it. So we can maximize it. So hopefully God's put you around some people that are going to say, hey, man, like you, you're this. Well, hey, let me help you with that. Because no one is omni-gifted and has them all perfectly all to the nth degree. So that's the first one. The gifts of knowledge and wisdom help us put our faith into action, which is the end game of both. Wherever we are on the spectrum of spiritual gifting and knowledge and wisdom, the end is edification and building up. Second one, the gifts of knowledge and wisdom lead us to be less critical of others and more thankful for them because if we're really thinking about gifts from the spirit and we start to criticize others in the body of christ for how they are wired and that's another way to say well there's no no let's talk about gifts of the spirit that person you think is just way too always out there and not shoe leather faith enough or vice versa are you are you criticizing the way the spirits gifted them Now I know some could take that from today and use it as an excuse to not be more one or the other, but I'm just saying our disposition, our first step, our instinct as believers should be to be less critical and more thankful for the way that person in your life is gifted, not wired. Talking about Christians, talking about husbands and wives, small groups, discipleship relationships, parents and kids, if your kids are saved, Is your first step. is the instinct, the loving, charitable instinct in you to celebrate rather than criticize. Parents, when you think about practical application of this, family Bible time, you know, where you gather the kids in the evening, maybe you do it in the morning, and you say, hey, we're going to have some Bible time. And maybe between you and your spouse, um, one of you is better at explaining than the other. Praise God for that, rather than lament that the, the explainer isn't as good as thinking how, you know, how should your five-year-old apply this text. Well, as you and your teammate work together, figure that out, rather than kind of sit in judgment and be frustrated all the time. And, and talk it out. Now, there could be the case, God put two people together that they're both just all out, you know, it's all abstract and, um, you know, you need to consult some people in, in the church, like, hey, how do I make things more practical for my kids? Or if you're both just super practical, but you're sometimes wondering, hey, are we really um, getting across some concepts of the character and attributes of God to our kids? Work together on it. Your first instinct should be to celebrate the gifts you have, not be critical of what you don't. And you can, I mean, you can take that and you can apply it in a hundred different ways in relationships in your life. The, the principle is, what we see in 1 Corinthians 13 is love undergirding all of these relationships and the way that we are one in Christ together. Is, is your love patient to that person that's different than you? Is your love kind to them? Is it not jealous? How about that one? You know, you can actually start to get jealous, envious of somebody that has a gift that you don't have. Right? He's more, I mean, this weekend... If you were here for the speaker, Jim, most practical sermons you could hear. I mean, I've not said that many practical things in my whole life. And I could sit there, and I was sitting there going, man, i got to be more like Jim. And no, I don't. I have to be who God made me to be. I mean, I can work on my craft, and I could try to be more applicational, hence today's efforts, inspired by the Spirit, and also Jim Neuheiser. But if I try to be Jim, what am I saying to the gift this God's given me? I like hanging out with books, famous Christian dead guys. That's not always the most practical, but I can't explain why I like that. I just do. I want to read about theology. So I need brothers in my life, guys that I work with here, the elders on the team, who balance that out. Great. I mean, woe to me if I didn't have that. It'd be like three people here. They're right there. They're related to me. <laughs> but the question you have to ask in the log and spec principle is, what am I doing with the gifts I have? So when you think about the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of knowledge, before you go around looking at other people and criticizing that, just think about your own life. How are you gifted? Really think about that this week, especially in, as it relates to relationships with others. And even you know, work back from preachers you might like. And take it away from like I'm of Paul and I'm of Paulus and actually think on the spiritual level. Why is it that I gravitate towards John MacArthur? Well, he explains it so very well. I like explanations. You know, one of the crazy things, I was listening to a sermon of his from 1976 last week when he was probably my age, and he was preaching this text, and he goes, I'm not gifted in knowledge, and I like fell out of my chair. (laughs) You're not gifted in knowledge? What do you... What are you doing right now? Which is interesting to me to think about his perception of his own teaching, now 45 years ago or whatever it is. Can't do math. That maybe he did back then think, oh man, I'm way too practical. I've, you know. Or you know, here's the cool thing, we can grow over time. And it's, some of that is our own effort. If you find yourself, hey, the knowledge, the reading theology, all that doesn't come natural. Have you ever pushed yourself? Or do you just excuse it away? I'm an application guy. Who knows what God could do with it? On the other side, I'm just, I like my thick books. You know, somebody else could think about how to apply it. No, I can could, I could work on that. And he works in, I work out. I can't explain how maybe the Spirit could change somebody over the years. Uh, you're an encouraging congregation to me in that, uh, in, a, in a very gracious way, I get emails like, you know, Adam, I'm just understanding you a lot more than I used to. I'm thinking, praise God. It could be pretty much out there a lot of the times. But you haven't left and you're hanging in there, so thank you. Because this has to do with gifting more than anything else. This has to do with how God has placed each member in the body to be built up and strengthened by one another. And when that first instinct is to look at each other and be encouraging and, and look for the good rather than to be critical and lament what we don't have and the grass was always greener on the other side... So look at your own giftedness and then also look around and ask, you know, how's my attitude to others who are different than me? You know, do I grumble and mumble under my breath over certain people in my life group, in my life, in discipleship because of the whole knowledge and wisdom thing? And I don't even want to say knowledge versus wisdom as if they're enemies that need reconciled when they are what? They're friends and they work together. And they work together best when we honor them as such in the church. When we don't pick and choose. And then when that happens, we become 1 Corinthians 3. We divide, we devour, we bite, we bail. We find a new church that we think is the perfect place with the goat preacher until he's not. And then we miss out on the life and the body that we had before because we thought we weren't getting fed there. I mean, if somebody's... i uh, not. This isn't self-defense for me. I'm just thinking he might be from another church here today. Maybe he came for the conference. Um, and you're going to go back to your church and be like, oh, my preacher's not Jim Newheiser. You're right, he's not. Duh. God made that guy that way, this person that way. If they're preaching the word of God to you, every meal's a meal. How'd you grow from the time you were a little baby till now? You ate just meals. They were hopefully healthy meals. You look good. Every meal's not... Paula Deen, now some people who grew up in you know, certain churches with maybe more well-known and widely gifted preachers got Paula Deen sermons every Sunday. Awesome. Praise God for that. But just be thankful that every week, whatever teaching you're taking in, and it's not just here, it's throughout the week, that God's serving you a meal, serving you a meal, serving you a meal, and it's that one meal at a time that's going to be healthy and nourish you and help you to grow so that you can use your gifts for others' good in God's glory let's pray father we thank you that you have gifted us in your spirit far more than we deserve and that's how we see that grace that leads us to gratitude that when we really can look at our lives collectively um, and see how you have put people in our lives you've put parents you've put siblings you've put pastors you've put disciplers We're just we're we're the representation of all of those different people that use their gifts for our good. And when we recognize that, then we want to turn around and do the same for others. So help us to do that today, Spirit. Help us to take this and and meditate on the truth of it and then be willing to examine our hearts for the application of it so that we we would be the church that you've always wanted the church to be at large even this church at corinth uh, paul wrote this letter to correct the things that needed it so that they could be all that you designed them to be christ's body on earth serving him serving the world reaching the lost and that's that's our heart cry in this series all the gifts are yours and you've given them to us may we be good stewards of them convict us where we might be holding back serving for whatever reason we might be but that we really would with joy in our hearts just be moved to to use our lives to spend and be spent for others good because we love you and we love them and you've loved us in Christ praise you and thank you for him this morning we pray in his name amen